You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 69 called Listener Mail and Hybrid Learning Updates. In this episode, we'll provide an update on our remote and hybrid learning experiences as the 2020 school year gets underway. Following that, we'll dive into our mailbag as we read and answer some of the best questions that we've received over the recent months. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. So before we get into the episode, there is a lot that have, has kind of gone on over the last uh, couple of weeks. I mean, we got remote learning, we got hybrid learning, we have, you know, professional developments, whether they're in person, we have virtual professional developments. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work and we're, we're going to continue doing a lot of work uh, being guest presenters in college and university classrooms, which is super fun. So we have a lot going on, but let me just ask real quick, Nick. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. Like you said, I, I think your intro there kind of summarized it the best. It's just super, super busy. Everybody has so much going on and, and it's true for, you know, us and the podcast and everything related to the Got Tech world. Uh, you've also forgot to mention, we just wrapped up our Treefish EDU uh, YouTube mini series called Flip Flops. That was a lot of fun, a lot of work. But on top of all that, of course, like we've been mentioning a lot in our recent few episodes, just because it's on the forefront of everybody's minds, on top of all that is just how busy and crazy it is figuring out how to teach in this in this new world. And we don't want to harp on it too much, but it is, I think, what everybody's thinking about right now. I know it's what we're thinking about and what we're talking about and mostly what we're working on in our free time. So we're sort of going to go uh, sort of dip back into that world a little bit today. So I'm doing okay trying to keep up with this. I know the the, the hybrid environment that we are in in our school that guys and I are teaching in. And if you've been listening recently, you've heard us talk about how that works. It's where half the kids are in school, half the kids are home. That's like the shortest way to say it. There's a ton of challenges there. And I think we're starting to figure some things out. I know at least I've got a flow for like a new normal class period. I don't know if that's how you feel about it too. How's your how's your hybrid class looking? Yeah, I, I think that new normal. I, I'm, I was laughing earlier because you said in our free time. That's that's pretty oh, yeah. funny. I want to know. Right? I want to know how you're getting some free time. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean we're we're challenged by a lot, but. To me, these challenges are kind of like doing a Sudoku puzzle every day. It's something new. It's something to challenge us. And if, as long as you're trying to do your best, and I kind of take this into my teaching practice as well, as long as you're trying to do your best, you can just push on and take it each day at a time and with a grain of salt and know that you're you're doing your best and be happy with, with that. Yeah, you really can. And I, I, I like how you compare it to a puzzle. That's kind of what it is. And we just, I've sort of accepted that we have to get used to maybe I can't plan an entire month of lessons like I used to be able to do when I knew what to expect. Maybe I can only, you know, feel really good about what I'm doing tomorrow or for the next two days or if I'm lucky the next week worth of lessons. But anything outside of that, it's it's kind of just too much to think about. So once you accept that, I feel a lot better about it. I know my biggest issue right now is just trying to deal with time. Everything, when you have a group of kids via Zoom, it just, it's slow. I used to be able to just say, okay, guys, we're working in groups of three, go ahead. 
and they all spread around and it's done and everybody's rolling. But now I got to set up breakout rooms and I have to know how many breakout rooms to set up so that there's three kids in each room. And I have to decide how am I going to put them in these groups? Am I going to randomize it? Do I need to have groups set out ahead of time? Then they're on Chromebooks so they can't put themselves in the breakout rooms using that cool new option. So it's just all these weird little things and it's just sort of slowing down the whole process. So that's personally what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to make this seem like I'm all puppies and kittens over here. I mean, I have messed up a lot and yeah. and really these growing pains are what is allowing me to learn even more. And I and that's what I'm saying, if you learn to embrace those challenges and you really go at them as they are just that challenges and you're going to find a way to get through them, it's very rewarding at the end. It's it's kind of like my golf game. I'm not going to lie. You know, I cover a lot of real estate and around the golf. I'm off to the right. I'm off to the left. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm just uh, paying for a very expensive hike and I'm enjoying being outside. So it's, it's a lot like that for me. Do the best that I can. And, you know, everything at the end of the day, I'm going to get one step closer to a best practice. Yeah, man, that's your second great analogy this episode. I want to congratulate you on that. That's impressive. <laughs> that's a win just by itself. But it, it's so true. And there actually is. You know, it's easy to complain and we definitely don't want to go down that road during one of our episodes here. But I think it's we should sort of acknowledge that there's a lot of great stuff happening, too. I was thinking just today as I was wrapping up my first unit of AP Chem on atomic structure, the development that I've done into digital lessons, this stuff I'm going to be using for years. You know, whether as soon as we're back to normal and everybody, all the kids are in school, it's that dynamic learning environment in person again. I'm doing a lot of this stuff the same way, except it's going to be even better because now we will be in person. So I think as frustrating as it can be and as easy it is to get sort of upset by all this, uh, the work we're putting in, this is going to actually be a really good thing moving forward because of all the new innovation that we're sort of being forced into. So I think that's like a really important message here. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at We Got Teched. Why don't we just take this time, I guess, to head into our main segment here, which is the mailbag. And every once in a while, we pull this out. We, we like to collect some questions. But because we have been more active in uh, not only giving tech help, because we're both tech coaches or tech integration specialists or whatever the new term or the new word is for the week, uh, we answer to everything. But uh, so we do get some questions there. We get some questions on Twitter. And and uh, I, got, I got a couple of good questions from uh, some of the virtual professional developments that I've done recently uh, and also in the college classroom. So it was, it was pretty awesome there. So uh, Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce the first question? We'll kind of talk about them and uh, move on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to do this. I've been thinking about doing a mailbag episode for a while now, but we've got a good collection of questions here. The first one says that we've been in hybrid learning for four weeks and it already seems stale. That actually is sort of true. I've seen that myself. Uh, the question is, what can I do to make the classroom interactive and Interesting. I'll I'll think I'll probably let you answer this first and I'll jump in afterwards if there's something else I think you missed. Yeah, so 
I mean, I, I really like this question, the, the part where it says it already seems stale because there are several teachers that came up and said, hey, Zoom is now the new worksheet. And that is kind of the case. I mean, students really don't like doing worksheets. They, they don't. I mean, I remember when we were in school, well, I'm a lot older than you, at least I feel it, way back in the day where uh, you walked uphill both ways and three feet of snow barefoot, um, that old. But I still remember like going in, okay, today you're going to read this and you're going to do these questions, or today you're going to read this and you're going to do this worksheet. And it was like the same thing over and over in a lot of the classes. And I do remember that. And and that's just the way that it was taught, you know, then. So as as I have these conversations with people saying that are saying that it's stale, Zoom is the new uh, worksheet. I, I was like, all right, so what are you going to do about it? Let's sit down. What's something that you like to do? Do you like to play games? Okay. If you like games and you're, if you want them to learn through games, let's, let's take a look at this. I mean, even in my AP bio class right now, I'm making an escape the room because I heard that the kids are really sick and tired of doing pogles. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll make an escape the room. They'll get some of the same content. We'll have some of the same, uh, you know, experiences, but we'll do it in the way that they like. And I think that's what we need to reflect on right now. I think we need to go back and say, all right, so how do they like to learn? How can I incorporate this into Zoom? Who are my resources in the building that can help do this? Do I have a PLC? Can I bring other other teachers in that teach the same thing as me? If I can, all right, let's let's do something about this problem. Let's use our resources and be very productive. Yep, that's all great. I was going to sort of add into that, that just think about the same way you would spice up your, you know, a normal classroom. You do that. But in Zoom, we I think a couple episodes ago, we mentioned uh, breakout rooms. We have a physical breakout room in class and kids are, you know, trying to solve puzzles to eventually break out of that room or the digital breakout rooms that we've talked about many times. Zoom is great for digital breakout rooms. Uh, because you you can literally put them in that same environment. You push out your Google site that has the you know the breakout challenges and and uh, you know they can they can do it. They can run that room escape and try and work through those puzzles. And it's something that you can modify slightly from that regular classroom environment, but just bring to this new one. So I think you know just thinking about how you can repurpose a lot of those ways you used to spice up your your old in-person classroom, sort of innovating to bring that to the Zoom classroom. Just remember that there's probably a way to do all that stuff. And if you're not sure, like I said, reach out to you, the people in your school who are knowledgeable and who can help you get it running. I'm sure they'll be happy and, and excited with uh, you know to take on that challenge too. Yeah, and it's perfectly fine to use your students as resources and be vulnerable with them. They'll actually appreciate that. I feel like uh, me being vulnerable with my students and letting them know that I'm not, even though this is kind of my area, it's still not my area. It's still very new to me. I told them I'm going to do things that are not traditional and I'm going to mess up and I'm going to fail doing them, but I'm doing them so they'll have a different and a unique experience. And I think that's going to help with the classroom management and really getting to know your students and having them buy into what you're going to do. It's just to show them that you're human there. So I'll go ahead and I'll uh, do the introduction of the next question. Sure. And this is probably one that we get the most. Uh, we are a one-to-one -one district, so I'll just preface that 
um, for this question. I am super frustrated with teaching on Zoom when my students have Chromebooks. There are a lot of functions such as annotation, choosing their own breakouts, et cetera, that they can't use. Do you have any suggestions? So I'll do, well, there's two things in there that caught my eye. One is the annotation features. The other are the breakouts. I think, I know you can talk about the, I know you can talk about both of these. Let me cover the annotation part and then I think you can do a better job with the breakout part if that's okay. But yeah, I mean, Zoom has an annotation feature. It's great, but not if you're on a Chromebook or not if your students are because then they can't use it. Now, there's a little, a little option in your Zoom meeting if you didn't know that says when you go to settings, you can enable the participants to annotate, which is great because then you could basically hand the marker to the whiteboard off to, and I'm talking digitally here, but hand off the marker to the student and say, go ahead, show us how to solve this problem. And they can do that with their cursor and, and write and there's text boxes and everything all right in the Zoom, uh, but Chromebooks are not compatible. So it's not an option. So I mean, the workaround for this, there's a couple of them. I think the best one is something called uh, Jamboard. Jamboard is like the free Padlet if you are a Padlet user. If you've never tried Jamboard, check it out. It's part of your uh, G Suite tools. And it's essentially Google Slides, but everything is very live, very interactive. So when you share a slide or a board, just like you could on any Google Doc that's shareable. It can be edited at the same time by multiple people. So in our Zoom meetings, I know what we've been doing a lot is sharing out a bunch of these Jamboards. Um, and then you assign students uh, to certain slides within the Jamboard and they can edit on those. And essentially they're annotating because you can draw on it. You can add text boxes, little sticky notes, all the same tools that Zoom annotation has. We're just sort of circumventing the fact that Zoom doesn't work. And, you know, because, you know, you can watch everybody do this live. Technically, you don't, you don't even have to be in the Zoom meeting. You can just have the Jamboard up. If I'm student X, I'm watching the Jamboard and I can see what's being added there by all the other students at the same time. Uh, even more powerful if you're sharing your screen with the kids and then they can watch those those annotations happening, uh, those annotations that are happening in the Jamboard, they can watch it via your share screen too. So it's like this digital whiteboard that gets around the problem of Zoom annotations. And I'll add that you can do this with a lot of things. Jamboard is sort of the easiest one because uh, when somebody edits on there, it's, it's almost instantaneous that all the other viewers can see that thing being added to the board, which is great. I've done a similar thing for tutoring sessions where I share a Google drawing between me and the person I'm tutoring. You know, as long as both of us have edited access to it, then we can both add to that thing. And it's another way that we can sort of annotate back and forth. So there's tons of ways to do it. I think Jamboard's the best one. Yeah, I, I really like Jamboard. Uh, another thing I really like about it is you give them the link, they go and they edit, and then they can make a copy of that and study from it. They can put it in an e-portfolio for later. If they have to take an AP exam, that's what I'm suggesting in my class. Um, but as far as the breakouts, it's a big bummer. I mean, the new update says that participants can choose their own breakouts where they want to go. And uh, what really hit home to this is I got a question a couple of weeks ago saying, hey, or they told me a scenario that they wanted. They wanted to know how to go about doing this. And this is before the new update. Uh, a teacher wanted them to choose how they wanted to learn that day. You know, breakout one was individually. So everyone that wanted to go individually learn. Um, but if the teacher wanted to get a hold of them, they could through breakout room one. Uh, breakout room two is small group learning. Breakout group three is... Um, class lecture where the teacher would be there that kind of lecturing to them and then giving them some type of a problem. And this teacher went over three or four different ways. I said, well, you could still do that. Just have them hover over participants 
go to their name, rename themselves and put the number um, for whatever room they want to go into uh, in front of their name. And what that will do is it will make putting uh, students uh, into a classroom breakout a lot easier. You could do it in under 20 seconds because they show up numerically. And uh, we have a video on that over on our YouTube channel, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But I think that's how I would address that one. You want to get into the next one? Yeah, let's do it. This one's about uh, digital assessments. I, I mentioned earlier, I was just doing that today, trying to figure out how to convert your normal assessment style to something you can push out to, you know, remotely to kids. So it's tough. This question was, digital assessments are now my biggest headache. What do you guys recommend? So do you have something lined up for this? Yeah, especially with AP, um, typically the the thing that levels out the grades are the multiple choice questions. So it's it's very difficult um, to give that multiple choice test, especially if you're into a hybrid situation or a remote situation, because you can't see the students on the other end and what resources they have. Uh, I would encourage people to still give those tests. Make it open note. Just, be, just because they have the ability to answer or look up answers and things like that, that's still exposure to the content. And at the end of the day, our goal should be to get them to learn, have them work through the process of learning. To me, that's more realistic than these tests anyway, because unless you're in some type of, I know there's a lot of like math based tests in work to get certain certifications and levels and things like that. But for the most part, in the real world, they go away. Those tests go away. So my thing is, is you're, you're showing them still how to go find answers and you're already, you're still exposing them to content. And those two things I think are super important. And when it comes to AP testing, then they're still getting exposure to questions. If you really are worried about them going and just looking up answers, change some of the words, change the numbers in the problem, change a couple of adjectives, and then they won't show up as quick. And if they have to do a certain number of questions in a allotted period of time, you know, if they're looking up every single question, they're not going to know all the answers anyway. They're not going to get through them. So my thing is, is still give them the experience, but you know, at this point in time, we're in a unique situation. We kind of just have to deal with it. And I know that's hard for people to hear. Yeah, I, you know, I just realized today because I saw my students doing their first open note test and it just sort of, I had this moment of clarity. I was like, this doesn't even matter. Well, my, the questions, if you're worried about kids being able to just look up an answer to one of your test questions, you need to rewrite your test questions anyways, because these are not the types of things that you should be asking on your assessments in the first place. It should all be critical thinking. It should all be stuff that you cannot look up a direct answer to anyway. Um, and I think this has really helped me sort of transition my test questions to that instead of just, I don't know, not that you would ever ask this, it's too simple, but I don't know, how many protons does a carbon atom have? You can just look that up. You know, a first grader could do it without even knowing what a proton is. Just Google it. It's a bad question. Instead, you want to ask them to explain, you know, you can even tell them carbon, a carbon atom has six protons. Explain the impacts of this proton count on X, and then they have to really think and understand. So, yeah, sure, it's open notes. Go ahead, look it up. But you still have to process and synthesize that information and show me that you understand what you're talking about. And then it kind of ends up that it doesn't matter that it's open notes. And I, I, I talked to my students about this and I think they got it. And I think you can still have that powerful assessment experience. I, I'm, I'll add in one other thing too. Don't be afraid to 
stop doing those types of assessments. There's all types of alternate ways that you can assess. I was thinking maybe my next unit gives the students one class period and they have to create some sort of a screencasted video on a certain thing. And, and that's their assessment for that unit just to sort of further, you know, step away from that uh, traditional test environment if you don't want to give up on certain things. So lots of ways to get around assessments. Yeah. And I, I really like what you said there about making it more application rather than just coughing up an answer. Right. And and that's phenomenal. But I will tell you, that's another thing that this pandemic is going to help teachers with. We have a lot of great teachers. We have a lot of great teachers out there. But one of the hardest skills to learn is how to ask the right questions, whether it's in class or whether it's on a test. It's one of the hardest things to do. And I think we're going to get better at it as long as we uh, take the dive in there. Yep. So uh, the next question, uh, now that we're five weeks into school and I'm feeling better about my teaching situation, I hope all of us are feeling a little better about our teaching situation at this time. What are some ed tech tools that you use in your classroom? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ed tech tools you can take a look at. And this was another uh, conversation that I had with somebody earlier today is figuring out uh, a lot of the tools that we used to use, sort of repurposing them now in this new sort of remote classroom environment. And one that I've been using a lot is a tool that we talk about a lot, but I'm going to say it again because I think it kind of fits this question. And that is Classroom Q. If you haven't heard us talk about it, it's like a digital hand raising tool. And it used to be for if kids are working in your class and they're all you know, in different places, they can digitally hit a button and raise their hand. I see that name on a list. So I know that I can get to them and nobody gets left behind. Well, now I'm using this exact same tool, except instead of, you know, all the kids being in different places around the room, I've got all my students in the Zoom meeting. And it, whether they're all together in the one sort of main meeting or whether I push them out into breakout rooms, it's kind of serving the same purpose. I have that classroom queue up and running. They can hit the button and I see their name on that list and I know that I need to go talk to them. It's just a digital version of the exact same thing. And I, I bet there's tons of examples of stuff like that where it's almost the same purpose. You just have to rethink and realize I could probably do this, too, in, in my Zoom meeting in a similar way. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I've been using a lot of Jamboard in unique ways uh, and Google Slides and Moat for feedback. Those are the main ones that I've been going to. Uh, like I said before, um, one of the things that I look for is simplicity and something that does something right and it doesn't come with all these special features. And I think these tools definitely do that. Um, if you want to find some of our other tools that we are using, um, last episode, we talked about the New Jersey Department of Education. They have one of our uh, our slide decks up there, one of our presentations that was recorded. And uh, we go over a lot of those uh, tools that we are using in classroom, in our classrooms. And uh, really, you could go there and check out, I think we did, what, 10 different tools and uh, four or yeah. five different templates that we use. Uh, we'll put those in or that link in the show notes as well. Yeah, uh, that's that's a great resource. Yeah, let's uh, let's hop into our next question. I'll let you uh, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So this came from something earlier just today, actually. That is, a teacher asked me, what is a good way to digitally hand out materials to my students? Uh, there are so many options in my learning management system. But sometimes I just want to provide a resource that they can edit 
and save. So there's it's an interesting question, but the, the idea of digitally handing things out to your students and the best way to do it. And I can say just a little more detail on this question. There's just the person felt like there were so many different ways to do these things. Should I use the learning management system? Should I share you know, give like editing rights via uh, on the Google Doc we're going to be working with and just sort of feeling overwhelmed in that and was curious if we had like a best practice for this. So I know how I've been digitally handing things out since that's the way this question has put it. Um, what's your preferred method for pushing stuff out to the kids? Uh, I, I just started doing this. is the first time I've ever used some type of digital notebook. And uh, I, I took one from Paula over at Slides Mania. And nice. Every single activity I do for this unit will, it's either in there and I give them some further discussion questions on activities that they do, or they have to hyperlink it um, into the digital notebook, or they have to take a picture of it and upload that picture to the digital notebook. I mean, this digital notebook has everything. I have some of the favorite uh, AP bio, I, I, they're bio, AP bio celebrities, if you want to call them that, like the Khan Academies, Mr. Anderson's, uh, uh, Mr. Kanufki is one of my favorites. Uh, those are all those videos, uh, playlists, uh, YouTube playlists are within this resource. Uh, there's a AP podcast, AP bio podcast uh, that I linked in there. That's pretty phenomenal. They're like seven minute bite size um, episodes. So all this stuff is in this digital notebook. If you want a copy of a digital notebook, she has like seven or eight different versions. A lot of other cool stuff go over to Slides Mania, but that's how I'm pushing everything out. It still goes through the LMS. I push it out through the LMS, but once they have a copy, they have a little bit more reign of uh, what they can do with it. And then after the unit is done, uh, they hand in their digital notebook as well. And that's where they're getting their homework slash classwork grade is through that stuff. I go in, I take a look at each of the activities. There are certain activities in which I have them hand in for a grade. And usually that has to do with some type of an extension to a simulation or lab. And those will be graded within the LMS. But then I do more of a completion grade for how they're keeping their digital notebook because I want them to study from it later on. Yeah, I love the idea of pushing everything out all at once. And these Slides Mania digital notebook templates are so cool. And I, it's something I want to try and do myself this year. I'll add to that, too, if you still just want to hand out on like a daily basis, like here's what we're doing today, what I've been doing to sort of cut out, and this is at least for things that I don't want students to hand in for a grade, uh, anything that they're going to submit back to me, I make sure to push it out through, we use OnCourse for our learning management system, but whatever it is, you still probably want to do it that way just for simplicity, but sometimes there's just like, you know, here's a do now, you don't have to turn it in, but I want you to just have this Google Doc so you can record your answers and probably save it in a folder somewhere. So I've been using the the little trick where you go up to the URL of your Google Doc and the last little the last little snip of that URL should be the word edit. Well, if you don't know about this, you can highlight and delete the word edit and in its place type the word copy. And then if you highlight the entire new URL with copy at the end, you can send that out and anybody who clicks that link is they're going to be forced to make a copy of the doc. It's called a force copy. 
Um, I've been doing that, but in my PowerPoint slide that I show the students in class and that I'm sharing uh, my screen with via the Zoom meeting so it hits the remote kids and the in-person kids the same way, I set up a Bitly link and they type in the Bitly link and that links them to this force copy URL. So it's seamless. It takes like 10 seconds. The kids know as soon as they see the Bitly link on the screen, they type it in, the little force copy pops up. And there's their do now. There's their note sheet for the, for today. There's whatever it is that I want them to be working on. And I found this as like the an even faster way. Just to, it almost it feels like did literally digitally handing things out with the Bitly link and it connects to that force copy. So that's just another fun idea if you're looking for a, a clever way to sort of engage in this process. Yeah. So the reason why I just got my phone out is I bookmark a tweet from uh, Twitter and it's, uh, I think it's either coming from Tony Vincent. I think Tony Vincent uh, originally pushed it out and then Jake Miller uh, retweeted it and it's pretty awesome. And I'm going to probably attach this to our show notes as well, the link to their tweet. But now you can do that. You can do the whole copy thing. But if you take it one step further, uh, you can also get it to copy any comments that you put on it. Ah. So I'm thinking now you have this worksheet or you have this assignment and you know in years past that there are things that were very, very tricky that you had to answer certain questions to clarify things. Well, maybe you could do those in the comments and then kick it out with the uh, the comment link in there as well. So I'll put that in the show notes. You can, I, I think there's a little video that goes with that tweet and um, you can go look at that. And I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, what a great find, cool dude. Uh, let's go to our next question. Um, I see that you're posting a lot of videos on YouTube about ed tech. What projects are you working on now? I got this one. This question was pretty cool uh, because, I don't know, we do a really, really terrible job at promoting ourselves within our own district. Sometimes, yeah. You know, and I thought we did a good job, but I'm guessing that we didn't because there are a couple people that didn't know we had a YouTube channel or, I mean, I even heard from time to time, I didn't know you had a podcast. Right. I'm like, yeah. really? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we, we we made it our goal. We sat down. We have a couple goals for the podcast, and one of it is we want to grow our YouTube channel. Um, we have a lot of ideas, and we do a lot of videos, you know, outside of school. Uh, usually, these are videos that we don't have time to do in school, but people from school ask us about certain things. So we're putting these videos on YouTube now, so they're usually somewhere between a minute and five minutes long. There are a couple that are longer if we're going through a whole like how-to video, something like that. But uh, go over to uh, Got Tech um, on YouTube. If you search Got Tech, the podcast, it will come up and you can see some of our tech tools of the day and uh, tech tips of the day. And we're trying to publish a couple videos a week. So uh, hopefully there's something over there that you can see. The breakout room suggestion is there. That's a neat little hack. Um, we have a couple other ones that uh, we really, really like as well. Yeah, that's a that's a great suggestion. I think you covered it. So I'm gonna I'll jump straight into our our seventh question. Um, and this one actually came. This is from over the summertime when we were still doing the Edu Mentor Twitter chat. And we sort of took a little hiatus from that just to sort of let us focus on other projects we've been involved in. Uh, but there, the the Twitter chat, it was, I mean, it was full of amazing questions the whole time. There's tons of feedback there. This one always sort of caught my eye and we never actually responded to it. 
So I'm happy to bring it out today. Uh, this person said, what are some ways that students demonstrate mastery after completing a hyperdoc? I think one of our episodes was on uh, focus on hyperdocs. So everybody was sharing ideas, but that, you know, that mastery element was always the toughest part. And I, and I, I think I can jump in first if you don't mind, because for my hyperdoc lessons or when students are working off of hyperdocs, and if you're not, if you don't know, it's just a Google doc, but the Google doc contains like all the whole lesson in there. So different options for, you know, acquiring the content and learning skill, whatever it is, different options for formative assessment, different options for showing mastery. Uh, my favorite thing right now with the hyperdoc lessons is um, video creation. You know, a little task, show me how to do this or explain this, but explain it using Screencastify. So pull up, I don't know, pull up a Jamboard so you can draw and annotate, but record yourself and narrate on top of that with your Screencastify. If you want to get really fancy too, you can use the new feature they have called Screencastify Submit, where there's a link and the students record their, themselves and it automatically submits that video to that assignment. So it's really easy for you to access these videos. So you can check that out. You can also do this using Flipgrid if you want to sort of create a grid and the students record themselves there. So everything's on that one grid. Tons of ways to do it, but I, I love the uh, the video mastery component. I think it's great. Yeah, so I used our, uh, what do we call it? Our, our digital gallery walk template yes. the other day. And they had they had a prompt I gave them a little bit of a narrative and then I gave them their action that they had to do. So the, nar the narrative was in the form of an article that was hyperlinked to a slide. Uh, and then underneath that, they had to also watch a YouTube video and taking the knowledge that they got from those two things, they had to do another action, uh, which required them to go out and pull five different or pieces of information from websites. And then what they did is they screen they used uh, Screencastify to make their screencast. And that screencast was basically the gallery walk of their slide. It was the tour of their slide. And then because they're all working on the same slide deck, able to edit the same slide deck, uh, as a follow-up, what they had to do is watch three peers um, screencasts and provide comments on what they learned about it. And the cool thing is, is we did that right in the uh, Google slide. Uh, presentation. If you go up to comments and you make a comment, if you hit the plus key and then you type the email of the person, and usually if they're shared on that doc, it will automatically come up after a couple characters uh, and, and you put their name there, they'll know that they got a comment that they have to go answer to. Or you could also put it in the presentation notes as well. So I think that's a that's a great way to demonstrate mastery at the bottom of them, a hyperdoc. Just give them um, a link to a slide, hyperlink to a, a slide deck, and have them do some type of a tour. I think that's awesome. Yeah, what a what a great uh, what a great idea. I'd never considered that before, and I think it also brings us to our last question. Right? Do you want to read this one to round it out? Yeah, I, I actually got this question um, on Wednesday. Uh, okay, which is what two days ago now? Yeah. Uh, thanks for doing the. Uh, professional development on podcasting. Uh, I never knew how many cool resources there are out there. What are some other podcasts that I should check out? And I, I mean, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, a lot of podcasts. And the reason why I was doing the uh, 
the professional development on podcast on Wednesday. It was International Podcast Day. And one of our uh, our podcast buddies, uh, Tim Cavey, um, he uh, put together this uh, little project with other podcasters where we go out and we check out people's content and stuff like that. And we just kind of celebrate the day together. Uh, so basically... Um, that's what we did. Nick, you were a part of it a little bit and I was a part of it and, and we went out and we, we did it and it was a cool thing, but it kind of got me thinking that, you know, maybe sometimes we need to revisit this topic a little bit and we need to, you know, make sure that people know that podcasts are out there. They're really good, uh, resource for other people. So if you get a chance, you know, share some podcasts and and how you benefit from them with your colleagues. Because like I said, there's some colleagues of ours that had no clue what the value of a podcast was. But I mean, some of the ones that I I listened to uh, in education, I, most of mine that I really listened to every single episode are outside of education, but you know, Tim Cavey's teachers on fire, the staff room podcast with uh, Shane Pav. Um, those are two that I have uh, Kelly Croy's Wired Educator podcast, Podcast PD, Leader of Learning, The Jeff Bradbury Show, Short and Sweet um, with uh, Darren White and Ben. Um, there, there's, there are several. I mean, The Sweet Talk, Kim Matina, she's local. Uh, am I missing? Uh, oh, Scott Noons uh, and Matt out in uh, California. Did you do uh, the Wired Educator podcast with Kelly Croy? I forget if you brought that one up. Yeah, I did do that one. Okay. Uh, and then uh, a former guest of ours, uh, Richard Smith, Dr. Richard Smith. He is uh, one called the EdTech Study Hall. Uh, I hope I got that name right because it is a Friday. Um, <laughs> and I was actually on it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty sure EdTech Study Hall or Tech Study Hall. Yeah, that sounds, um, that sounds right to me too. So, you know, these are all ones that, that, that we really enjoy and – it's pretty uh, pretty cool to check out. Yeah, don't forget too. You know, they don't always have to be related to teaching to help you with your instruction too. You mentioned that most of what you listen to is, you know, just for your own enjoyment. I always bring up, um, and I know this is a super famous podcast, so this is probably not news to many people who like podcasts. But you know, uh, stuff you should know is a super super giant show. And it's all about just, you know, little snippets of cool facts on things that you would never even think would be cool. I listened to one this summer. It was like, uh, I think it was like how, how grass works, which sounds so lame and boring, but they go into it and they go so deep and they're explaining some of the, the history behind like Americans having a lawn, like people having a lawn wasn't even a thing that existed for a long time. And it connects to you know, the industrial revolution and people making more money and being able to afford having a lawn. And then they go into the science and the ecology and all the things that are living inside your lawn that you don't even know about. Um, and just, you know, the, the deep exploration of the topic, I was just, it just made me think that you could share this with a class. You could have them listen and then create their own version of this. And, and there can be so much inspiration that comes from just opening up your world via podcasts in general and it might, you know, might sort of inadvertently bring a lot of cool stuff to your classroom, too. So always think about it in that way when you're listening to different shows. Yeah. So let me uh, get the right name out there. It is Tech Study Hall, not Ed Tech Study Hall for uh, Dr. Richard Smith's podcast, which yes. is amazing. I think he has some awesome guests lined up. I don't want to say any of them because uh, 
the one is one of my absolute favorite educational rock stars. Um, but you should definitely check out that podcast uh, as well. And another podcast that I like to listen to, another genre of podcasts that I like to listen to are um, the ones about leadership. So uh, Dan Krynas, Leader of Learning, his is fantastic. But I like also listening to business leaderships. Uh, you know, I, I like to listen to Pat Flynn a little bit. I just got turned on to him by uh, the Teach Better uh, Teams podcast, which is another fantastic one. Uh, they had Pat Flynn on last week, and uh, that was an absolute phenomenal one as well. So a lot of good stuff out there. The, the big takeaway that I tell everyone is it's professional development on the go. Um, if you have a, a smartphone, which a lot of people do, and it hooks up to your car, get in, press your podcast player, subscribe to some podcasts, and then you just hit play and you just listen to them as you, you know, commute back and forth to work. So that pretty much wraps up this episode. Uh, uh, do us a favor and subscribe to Got Tech on all the main uh, podcast players. Uh, we're pretty much on all of them. Go over to our YouTube channel, subscribe, check out some of those videos, give us some feedback, and uh, tell your friends about all podcasts, not just ours, but if you would tell them about ours, that's cool. You can check us out on uh, Twitter at We Got Teched, and you could also check us out on our website, www.gottech.com. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Teched on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geis and I individually at Geis Got Teched and at Nick Got Teched on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Teched. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.